You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. All right, you heard the challenge. You heard what he said. Parents need to pay attention because the kids are going to ask, what did you learn today? So we're going to be in the 23rd Psalm. If you want to make your way there and you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 483. It's loaded up in the Version event. If you're using the Version app and you found our event, <coughs> or <coughs> if you would like to just make your way to the... Uh, Lisa, would you mind doing me a favor? There's a cup of water right there in the booth. Would you just go back there and get it for me? Just If you'd like to make your way there. Psalm 23... We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. I actually just gave Lisa an excuse to go get a fruit snack. That's what I really did. No, no, no. I don't need a snack. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to this psalm. I'm sorry. I've I've just uh, derailed this. Let's take a look at this. Let's read it together. Thank you. All right. Back to the psalm. The 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Church, let's pray. God, as we look to this psalm, and as we drill down into another verse, and as we move through this, Lord, let it be the song of our heart. Let it speak in amazing and refreshing ways to us. Let us see who you are through this psalm today. Be with me as I, I speak, that I would do that correctly and clearly and rightly as you would have me to. And Lord, be with us as we listen and we hear from you, that we would hear, that we would apply, that we would hear you, that we would follow, Lord, that we would hear and be transformed. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for those of you who are in here and you haven't been with us for a bit. We're working through the 23rd Psalm, just a verse at a time. We're reading it every week so that hopefully by the end of this you'll have it all memorized, but we're drilling down, and today I get to drill down into verse 2. Verse 2, He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I'm going to read that one more time. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. If you have a different translation, you're reading along, you're going, hold on, that that wasn't quite the same. That's not how I memorized it. Well, we have a, uh, a bit of a sticky situation here. And I'm going to come to that here in, in just a sec. If you've been following along and if you're struggling, I hope today will help clarify some of that. Here's what I hope and pray that we see today. That the Lord leads His people to rest now and for eternity. He leads his people, and he leads them to rest. And so in my time today, I want to ask three questions of this verse. I want to ask, how does he lead his people? And I want to ask, where does he lead his people? And then I want to ask, why does he lead his people like this, in this way? So in this first question, how, we 
get right into some translation issue that you've probably been struggling with every time I read this. And in this verse, we have a key challenge. The, the challenge has been difficult over the years for many translators. I'm going to read a number of English translations just to show you the difference. Are you ready? He lets me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In pastures of tender grass, he causes me to lie down. He has set me in a place of pasture. He makes a resting place for me in green fields. And then I didn't get the one that Pastor Josiah read to the kiddos, but that was more of a rhyming sort of summary, so we'll let that one go. Um, What does he do? Does he let me do something? Does he make me do something? Does he take me there? Does he cause? Which is it? What's going on here? It's not that these translations are bad. If you have one that's different than another... The issue is that in the Hebrew word, we can pack all kinds of things and qualifiers and add-ons and do all sorts of stuff to the Hebrew, to add verbs to nouns and create adjectives cooked right into the single word. And what we have here is the word where the, where the, the lie down is has an implied aspect that we just can't really get to in the English. The, there's a causal action that's bringing about the laying down, but we don't have a good English translation for it. It's just not totally clear. But, do you remember what I shared last week about poetry, specifically this poem and this kind of poetry? We have a complex sentence and it has a semicolon in it, right? We have a chief statement at the beginning of the poetic clause, followed by a complementary statement. Do you remember that? And the complementary statement comes in behind the chief statement and it fills some things out and it gives us some details and it helps bring some clarity. So in this first part, we have a little bit of ambiguity. He lets me lie down in green pastures. The second part, the complementary part, he leads me beside quiet waters and here's something that brings me comfort. Every translation I read to you agrees about the clarifying statement. He leads me. He leads me. And that word is nahel. It's a Hebrew word that means to lead, to guide, to give rest. And then within this range of meaning, it could be to lead with care, to guide to a watering place, to cause to rest, to bring to a place of rest, to refresh. That's what this to lead means. What it does not mean is to drive to stand back behind with a stick, with a po- point, you know, poker and, and force and manhandle and push. It doesn't have any of those aspects in the definition. Sadly, many of us have gotten this picture of the shepherd in our heads, haven't we? We've got this idea that Jesus is in the back. He's kind of prodding, poking, pushing where we don't want to go. He's driving us, maybe with force, How do we get there? Why do we think of the shepherd that way? Maybe you've had seasons of your life where Jesus seems aggressive like that to you. Maybe you're in a season like that right now. Where does this come from? Well, so for some of us, we've had parents that have either been domineering or or had some issue there. They've, They've failed us in a way. And by the way, all parents fail their children. All parents fail their children. 
So children, your parents will fail you. Parents, you'll fail your children. We're broken people in need of Jesus. Okay, so if they failed you in this way, show them some grace, show them some mercy. But broken parents may have sort of led you to believe that as you see Jesus tending and caring to your needs, the one who's cared for your needs might have been difficult or domineering. Maybe you were involved in uh, receiving some theological teaching, or maybe you were in uh, a church or an environment elsewhere where the theology was Jesus is a workmaster. And he's domineering and he's disappointed in you and he's driving you and he's pushing you and you can't measure up and you're not doing enough and you're not good enough. Maybe you've been in that environment so you think of Jesus in that way. Maybe you've had a pastor, an under-shepherd of Jesus who has not performed well. Or has been maybe pushing a little too hard or domineering. Maybe that's been me. Pastors will fail you. No pastor other than the good shepherd Jesus Christ is a perfect pastor. And so I will fail you. I have probably failed you. I will fail you in the future. If there's things I'm doing that are not measuring up, I'm sorry. But if I've led you to believe that Jesus is that way, please let that go. Just let that go and see Jesus for whom this psalm says he is. The 23rd Psalm says the Lord, the shepherd leads. Out in front, caring, guiding to rest. He's gentle. Jesus gives us more detail about how he does this, how he works as a shepherd. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 10. Hopefully you're getting pretty used to getting there in your Bible. We've been going there a lot. It's on page 952 in that pew Bible. We're going to look at verses 2 through 5. Jesus, the good shepherd, shows us a little something about how he leads. John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he, he says... The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of him. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. What is it? mean to know Jesus voice I remember when I was a new Christian I would hear people say oh God has told me this or God has said this to me or he's leading me in this way or that way and and I would just go what is that I don't hear anything I don't hear any audible anything what is that I don't get what you're talking about and over the years I've come to realize what they're talking about is how we recognize the voice of the Lord and how we see that as truth and and how we follow him. So if you're in that place and you're just confused because you're expecting to continually hear the audible voice of Jesus in your ears like you're hearing me talk to you right now, I just want to share with you, for most of us, most of the time it goes like this. When you read your Bible, which claims to be the breathed out Word of God, and in John 1 he says the Word became flesh. And elsewhere we see this is the Word and the revelation of God. When you read this and you you work through it and you read it, you start to recognize something different than other books. Now, sure, you might hear your own voice in your head or you might hear your own voice when you're reading it out loud, but you'd see that it's something more. It's God's voice. You're seeing the truth. You're finding yourself recognizing it and knowing it. 
And so that one day when you get to heaven, you won't be surprised when the Lord speaks to you. You go, I know you. You're like Mary in the garden, and, and Jesus just said something, and she just knew. It'll be like that. It'll be like that. So first you start to learn, and you start to recognize the voice. And then you start to follow it. You say, well, what, what are you talking about? Like, follow the like He's over there? No, no, no. You hear what he says, and you see the principles, and you trust them. And you say, okay, I can do that. You hear the promises and you believe them. And you rely on them. You let God's word, this truth word that you recognize, conform and shape your thinking. And conform your actions and conform your world view and conform your beliefs to God's will and purposes. And now you're living your life in such a way that you say, I hear this truth. I'm following this truth. I'm directed towards this truth. I'm not going, I'm not listening to the other voices. I'm listening to this voice. That is how you hear from the Lord and you follow him. And here's a beautiful thing. God has always led his people with this shepherding care, this following sort of directive out from the front. It's no different in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Allow me to show you. Do you remember how God led his people out of Egypt? He said, I'm taking you to the promised land. I'm going to lead you. How did he do it? They followed a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. If it stayed and didn't go anywhere, they stayed, didn't go anywhere. When it moved, they moved. They could look anytime and see the smoke, this big pillar or the fire. They always knew I'm going in that direction. It was very physical. It was very tangible. But listen to this. When they were singing about how great God is in leading them and in Exodus 15, 13, they sang this. With your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed and you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. There was an awful lot going on there, wasn't it? What reason, church, could you possibly offer to suggest that God is still or God is not doing this? How could you argue against the idea that God would lead his people? And here's the beauty of it. It's so much more now. It's so much more than a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. Sometimes we go, oh, that'd be so great. I could see it with my eyes, but it is so much better. Jesus has taken the place of that pillar. And now he calls out to you by your name and says, come this way. Come with me. We're going, come, come. Jesus is leading his people. Which brings us to our next question. Where is he leading them? Where is he taking us? The verse says the shepherd is leading the sheep to rest in green pastures or pastures of tender grass. It further clarifies with that inclusion, that qualifier statement, and it says, of quiet or still waters. I mean, you can just see this, right? Like this, this is the kind of thing we print on posters. You know, it's a busy day at work, you sort of daydream to this nice green pasture. It's gorgeous. Maybe there's little flowers here and there. There's still water rolling through it, this beautiful brook. You just want to set up shop and, and take a nap. You can see it, right? It's beautiful. And then you can see the protecting shepherd standing there over the sheep that are just lying in this beauty and resting because they have everything they could ever need 
and everything they could ever want. It's heaven. I mean, if you're a sheep, it's heaven if you're a sheep. But the point is that not, it's not about this peaceful pasture. It's not about the green grass and the still waters. The point is the rest. It's saying there's rest. And our translation doesn't even specifically say rest. So you say, well, where do you get that? Most of the other translations don't use the word rest. But it's built into that Hebrew word of lying down. And it's built into that word of leading, being led to rest. It's just there. So we have this wonderful poetic way that we are shown that the shepherd is leading the sheep to rest. And Jesus confirms that. Jesus gives us in a much less poetic and more direct way a confirmation of what he's doing. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is the good shepherd saying, I'm taking you to this rest. He's leading us to this rest. But it's not just a nap. It's not just a break. It's not just to hang up your hammock and ignore the world. He's leading us to an eternal rest. Something far more significant, far more perfect. The author of Hebrews points out that God was leading the people of the Exodus to this same rest. Yes, there was a physical land. Yes, there was this you know, land of milk and honey, but it was a big picture of a bigger leading to something that would be absolutely more wonderful. And in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, those who disobeyed would never enter that rest, quoting God. And then in Hebrews 4, 3, it says, for we who have believed enter the rest. It's not just about the Exodus because he's using the present tense. He's including himself. He's saying that promise still exists. We're still being led to the promised land, to the place. It wasn't just for them then. It's still true today. It's an argument that the rest is more than the physical land. It's a future rest. It's a place and it's a state removed from the toil and pain of our labor in this life. And it's something that those who believe, them and the, the author of Hebrews, the readers then, and even us today, if you believe, you will enter this rest in the future, and you'll experience it in small glimpses like a shadow now. So this is why we say, rest in peace. We, we put that on grave markers. We say that when people die. And it's not because we think that like laying in a coffin with your arms folded together like this, actually sewn together and all your blood drained out of your body is the rest we're looking for. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, that's not even rest. That's just decomposition. The rest that we're talking about when we say rest in peace is the hope that our loved one will be granted this blessing from God in eternity. They will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Come and rest. The pain of labor and toil, the curse, has been finally and completely redeemed. But there is no rest for those who don't follow the shepherd. There is no rest for those who don't follow the shepherd. Loved ones, I want to ask you to turn to Revelation with me. Now, don't get all triggered. Don't get crazy on me. 
If you would turn to Revelation chapter 14, I just want you to hear this. And, and I want you to hear it through the idea of rest. Forget about end times. We're talking about rest. Read Revelation 14, 9 through 13 with me. It's angels speaking. He says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead and on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in his image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's command and their faith in Jesus. There is no rest from any other source in the world. There is no provider of rest from any person or any other place. Only Jesus. Only the shepherd. It's the only place you will find rest. The Lord's Day is a way today as we worship together, is a way to experience a little glimpse of what this rest may be like. We're looking through a window dimly. It's, it's not clear, but we can kind of see through and there's something there. One day we will see it clearly when we're in heaven and in eternity. This is like a shadow of the, the things that are to come, but we get to experience it in our Sabbath rest. It's why the Lord says, Keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this so that you can see what's coming. There's something bigger. There's something better. And this is how we can experience just little glimpses and little tastes and just work through that. As we're journeying through, the Lord is showing us. But we're not there yet, right? He's leading us there. We're on our way there, but we do get to experience glimpses of how great it will one day be. It's why it always kills me when people say to me, well, I had a really busy week, so I'm going to skip church so I can rest. They're going to skip church so they can find rest where? That either means, church, we're not doing it right. We're not worshiping in a way that brings us closer to Jesus in a restful way. And maybe that's the case, and I hope that's not the case. May it never be, but maybe that's a problem. Or maybe they have a misunderstanding of who gives rest, where rest comes from, and how we can truly taste and see that the Lord is good. It's why our staff, who serve every week, have, myself included, expressed instructions to listen to the preaching of others. Every preacher should listen to a preacher just simply for the sake of receiving the preached word of the Lord. Because we serve, and it's not as restful as it could. We need to be reminded of what's there, and so we listen to, to, to worship music and sermons. We have an obligation in a different day of the week to really Sabbath and try to experience that the Lord is good in this way. 
We take a personal retreat day once a month, which is not a free day to go play. It's a day to dig in and really taste and see that the Lord is truly good and with us. It's important. It's why team ministry is so helpful. That's why pastors take a sabbatical about every decade or so, because every Sunday while we're doing this work, we're not necessarily receiving because we're working. And think of, even standing in the sound booth, I've been back there helping so that our crew can get some rest. You can't worship while you're moving the slides. You got to pay attention to everything. You can't get lost in it and just rest in Christ. It's work. Even just pushing the little arrow button that makes him go. Listening to the sound, paying attention to everything that's going on. It's not worshipful rest. It's service and work. And service is good. We can worship through our service. But if that's the only way in which you worship, you're not getting filled up in the way that God intended on the Lord's Day. Which is why we want people to serve, but then be in here. It's why we're not putting somebody in the nursery every single Sunday. Could you imagine how empty they'd be in a month or a week? Right? Like, that's why we don't do this. We want to see the church experiencing rest together. And service is a good thing. But experiencing the Lord in this way is necessary. It's what God designed for us. Are you following Jesus, hearing his voice, seeing where he's moving you, trusting his word to rest? Are you finding that he's leading you to a place of refreshing still water? tender grass? Are you getting a glimpse of the rest that you will one day have in eternity in, in perfection and in glory? And are you longing for that? Are you longing for, man, how much better will it be then? Because Jesus is leading his people to rest now a little bit and even better rest in eternity. And so now I have one more question. I'm going to conclude on, on this question. Why does Jesus lead us like this? Like, what's his motivation? Why, 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 does he, why does he do it? I have three reasons I'd like to offer. There are probably some others, but I'd like to offer these three. The first is, and we can even see this in the psalm, is that it's for his glory. It's for his namesake. Like, this might not sit well with you, but I'm going to say it this way. In a way, it's Jesus showing off. He promised to lead his people in Exodus and in Matthew, and elsewhere in the Bible. And he's showing that he can keep his promises perfectly. He's saying, hey, watch this. I'm going to keep this promise. I'm gonna, this is happening. You can take this to the bank, and if you can trust this promise, you can trust all the promises. It's showing off his strength. It's showing off his ability. It's showing him off as the shepherd in which we follow. It's for his name's sake. In John 10, 28 through 30, Jesus says, I give them, the sheep, eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's a big claim. Written in print for us to watch and test all of our lives for generations is Jesus who he says he is? Is he that powerful? Is he that capable? Is, can any sheep get plucked out of his hand? His reputation is on the line. His father's reputation is on the line. And so get this, Jesus saving you, sustaining you, and taking you all the way to glory in eternity just lets him show off 
It's for his reputation. And you get to be the benefactor of him proving that he is who he says he is. How fantastic is that? His reputation's on the line. If you're in his hand, if you're in there, nothing can get you out of there. Nobody. You can't even get yourself out of there because that would put you more powerful than God. If you're saved, if you're justified, if his blood has washed away your sins, you're in there. You're in his flock. You're his. He calls you by name and he gives you rest. Are you in there? Are you? We'd love to talk with you more about it if you want to know how to become a follower of Jesus Christ and experience this. Here's a second reason why Jesus does this. Jesus loves his people. He loves you. If you are his, he loves you. John 10, 15, Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, and on its own, that statement's interesting, but when you compile that against Romans 5, 8, it says God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he proves his love. And then he takes his life back up again to lead us and to shepherd us. He didn't leave us. He said, okay, for about 36 hours, kind of confusing, but I'm coming back and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to stand at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to advocate and I'm going to speak and I'm going to open your ears and I'm going to open your eyes and I'm going to shepherd you and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you and you will never be alone because you have the good shepherd. Why does he do it? Because he loves you. He cares for you. And here's the third reason why Jesus shepherds us. Why would he do all this? Because we don't know how to get there ourselves. I mean, we're just needy. We're sheep, right? We need a shepherd. That was the relationship that's built here. We can't do it on our own. If this were left up to us, fail all day long. We can't do it. John 14, 6. It's there that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Except through me. Can't do it on your own. You have to have Jesus. Why does he do it? Because we can't do it on our own. Being led by Jesus, hearing his voice, following him, that's the only way. It's the only way. The verse says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The Lord leads his people to rest, now and for eternity. My encouragement to you, my challenge to you, is that you enter into that rest, now and in eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord, I... Confess, we're broken, we're busy. We think being busier will fix our problems. We think working and toiling will somehow get us our desires or salvation or you. Lord, what we've seen in this psalm and in your word is that that's just not the case. So Lord, we confess that we are needy, that we are sheep, We can't do it on our own, but we need you. 
And Lord, I, I apologize for myself and even on behalf of the church for the times that we've not followed you well. When you've called and we've been hesitant to come. Or when you've been showing us something or when you've been leading us through a difficult place and then we don't trust you for a moment. We look to the waves and we sink for a minute. Lord, I thank you that you are a perfect, loving shepherd, even in our shortcomings, even in our struggles, and you are growing us and conforming us to your image and your will. Lord, I thank you for that rest that I'm looking forward to and longing for. And God, I thank you for the rest you give us now. It's my humble request, God, that you would move us as a church and us as individuals and us as leaders in our homes else's families, Lord, to rest in you. To recognize how important that that Sabbath rest is, to see you, to experience you, to have a little glimpse of what will one day be so much better. Lord, for those who don't know you in here, speak to them. Call them by name. In a way, they can't deny it, that they run to you. And you lead them. You bring them into the flock, and one day, Lord, you carry them into this beautiful, glorious, eternal rest where there is no pain and no labor and no no toil in these ways. Work that's enjoyable, not labor that's painful. God, I, I thank you so much that this is your plan, that out of your love, we get to be the benefactors of how you show your glory. And Lord, I just confess we need you more and more. And Lord, we want to experience and enjoy your rest, even what we see now, just a shadow that we will one day see with perfect clarity. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.